Hello, and welcome to another episode of Grumpy Old Game Men and Their Dogs. It is day 229 here in the Zen Room, episode 49. My name is Patrick Finn, but unfortunately Tommy Gibbons is not here tonight. He is in the final week of rehearsal for a play that he's directing called Run For Your Wife, playing at the Manus Studio Theater on Wellwood Avenue in the village of Lindenhurst, opening this weekend as a matter of fact, so I encourage you to make your reservations. But in the meantime, I have two guests here, one a returning guest, and one a new guest. My returning guest is our youthful ward, Bryce Powell. Hello! <laughs> and our new guest is Bryce's partner and companion, Indy Johnson. Hello. How you doing, Indy? I'm all right. How are you, Patrick? All right. Doing good. Welcome to the show. Thank Glad you. you can join us. You going to sustain that customer service for this whole recording? No, absolutely not. God, no, I hope not, <laughs> really. I think so. No, no. Absolutely. And how may I help you this podcast? <laughs> We're here to serve you at your pleasure. Please, not that kind of podcast. I've listened to it. But anyway, uh, anything new with you guys? Anything going on? No, I don't have no. much going on. No, you didn't do anything exciting this past weekend? What do I do that's exciting? That's I don't know. Exciting. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> I'm not very exciting. <laughs> uh, we bought a We bought a Switch. You bought a Switch. A Nintendo Switch. A Nintendo Switch. Oh my God, it doesn't get much more exciting than that. Not a third, Patrick. (laughs) Not a third. We didn't buy a third. A video game console. Ah, okay. To be nerd Switch. Ah, that kind. Okay. I was like, wow, Nintendo's really expanding. (laughs) (laughs) No, we we keep the gimp locked up. (laughs) Okay. Shared custody. Uh, (laughs) That can work. So, I guess we'll move into our very first segment, which of course is heavy petting. (laughs) And, of course, we usually talk about dogs in this segment. Tell me, Indy, are you now or have have you ever been a dog owner? I have been, yes. But when I moved out, Naomi stayed with my parents. Okay. She is a 90-pound pit bull who thinks she is a lap dog. Oh, and she is. So um, I currently live with a dog who is mine on weekends. His name is Egon. Egon. Egonovich von Corn Muffin. Um, <laughs> he is a mutt. I have no idea what he is, but he technically belongs to the people who live upstairs, and I love him very much. Oh, what kind of a dog is he? Pure That's mutt. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yes. No idea what he is. Pure mutt. And I currently own one rabbit named Toasty and two axolotls that still don't have names. What are axolotls? They are these Mexican... I've shown you pictures. Yeah, South American, sorry. Salamanders that don't go through puberty to breathe air, so they stay underwater all the time. Really? Yep. Oh, so... wow, I never heard of that. Yep. Oh, they're so cute! Yeah, yeah they, they are. Oh, my God, it's adorable! So I just Jesus got... Christ, I'm surprised Disney hasn't made a cartoon of them yet. <laughs> oh, my God. This is our best-kept secret. <laughs> Disney th- can't afford more cultural appropriation. And it's pronounced axolotl? Uh... Technically, that's yeah. How, that's okay. the American that's how, bastardized you know, okay. white people. That's how white people have <laughs> said it. 
Um, there is an indigenous name for it that I'm not going to embarrass myself trying to pronounce. Okay. Um, but yeah, I have two of them that do not have names yet. So if anyone How long do they live for? They're supposed to live up to 10 years. Wow. Oh yes. my God. Yes. Um, yeah. I had one who was an idiot and choked on a worm and died. Oh. And, you know, I'm sure you're... Wasn't it even the frozen ones? It wasn't even live No, it was, it was a live one. Um, but I'm sure your viewers know food. about choking on things that are a bit too big for them. <laughs> viewers, listeners, you think? I apologize. <laughs> so maybe they can sympathize. But, um, yeah, so we got... Two new ones over the weekend. They're very little. They're about this big Aww. right now. So small. Do they have names? Not yeah. yet. No. Um, someone is campaigning for spinach. I love spinach for one of them because he's little and green, and I, I think they all need pe- uh, food names rather. Food names. Why yes. do you plan on eating them later? Yeah. <laughs> the last one was named Tortellini, and I I campaigned for that name harder than yes. fucking Trump in twenty sixteen. Oh, no, my truly, God. like that is. All over Facebook, Instagram. Guys, Indy's got a new axolotl. We're going to name him Tortellini. Vote for Tortellini all over everything. So finally, <laughs> all right, his name's Tortellini, I guess. Now, so where did now, you first learn about these? I pride myself on being the token weird kid okay. since, like, middle school. And that never really wore off. There's a Pokemon that looks like it. Okay. And I really <laughs> liked Pokemon, so there's all those, like, stupid BuzzFeed listicles of, like, hey, ten Pokemon that exist in real life. And okay, that's, okay. That's it now. Yeah, I recognize kid. that. So yeah. that is where I found it. So now, so obviously you don't can't just, like, walk into a pet store and say, where's your axolotl? section. <laughs> Weirdly enough, that's kind of how it happened. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so you found him here on Long Island? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, same, wow. Same pet store two times. Um, The first time, shout out to Fred. He, my dad, he found it and came home and was like, hey, you've always, you've been talking about these for a while. I got you one. I was like, oh, cool. Thank you. And this past weekend, we, he was like, yeah, the same store has a ton of baby ones. You want to go back and check it out? So this time I got it for myself, but yeah. Oh, wow. And what do you feed them? Worms. Really? Live they... worms? Well, when they're very little, it's like the frozen bloodworm cubes that okay. you see in a lot of stores. Okay. I, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> feed them. Um, but you there can, are, who, usually who do does that? that? It's a mystery. <laughs> who would ever touch worms? Could it be Bryce? Yes. Uh, there are um, sets of chopsticks by the axolotl tank that, that I, will, just I will use to feed the axolotls the live ones, but they're so little they can't take the live ones right now. Okay. Yeah. As they get bigger, you can feed them like bigger worms. Okay. How, how often do you feed them a worm? Every other day. Oh, okay. Yep, so they, they're oh. super low maintenance. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Once you get their tanks and, like, water right and stuff, that's super high maintenance. Like, yeah. the ammonia levels versus the oxygen levels. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess it has to be because of their yeah, because of yep. their body chemistry. Because yeah. where are they originally from? South America. Okay, from uh, South, South America. South Central America. Someone wants to correct me on that, go for it. Oh, okay. <laughs> All of our axolotl expert listeners. <laughs> yeah, really. Right, I'm sure they'll be just dying to write in now with their corrections well, about it. Well, from what I understand of the internet, <laughs> no one loves anything more than proving someone else wrong. It's <laughs> <laughs> a wonderful feeling. <laughs> Well, that's amazing. I didn't know anything about these creatures before. Well, now you do. Now I do, and now our listeners do, too. I'll start sending you pictures in the group chats with everyone. Uh, that'd be perfect. <laughs> and you know what? Because we've spent so much time talking about it, I'm going to skip what we were going to discuss about in heavy petting. Okay. Because actually, I'm going to save that for 
What day is it? But now we're going to move on into our next segment. Happy birthday. Many happy returns. A very happy birthday. Yes, it's time for today's birthdays. Tommy's favorite segment. I was going to say, should I pretend to protest? Like, I like this part. I personally very much like this part. I think everyone else likes this except Tommy. When I worked at the group home, I would specifically listen to this part so I could write them on the board for everyone. <laughs> because it gets boring. It's the same 40 people. So you're like, oh, well, it's also this person's birthday. Oh, my God. Well, these, this one, this Tommy usually hits because I almost always hit him with the, with the dead people. Because there yes. are so many dead people. Yeah. <laughs> Who so else Speaking. Most of Earth's population has died, has died at some point. But for this episode, we have one dead person and one live person. Ooh. Okay. Let's give you the dead person first, see if you can guess who it is. He was born August 17th, today, 1786, in Tennessee. That's where he was raised. He gained a reputation for hunting and storytelling. At the age of 12, he was indentured to pay off his family's debts and worked on a cattle drive. At the age of 13, he ran away from home after his, after his father tried to whip him for not going to school, and he joined another cattle drive. He met a woman named Polly Finley and her mother, Jean, at a harvest festival. Jean did not approve of him for her daughter, and he declared his intentions to, to marry Polly. So he arranged for a justice of the peace, and took out a marriage license, and then he rode to Polly's house with his family and friends, determined to uh, to take Polly off and marry her somewhere else. Disney. So Polly's father pleaded with this man to have the wedding there in the home, and the man agreed, but only if the mother apologized for her past treatment of him, Ooh. which she did. They had three children, and then Polly died in 1815, and this man remarried later that year. Jesus. So obviously it was a really short mourning period. And then he had three more children. It's just because he was horny, Patrick. Obviously. Right? Jesus. Jesus. Anyway, he served in the Tennessee militia, including during the War of 1812. In 1821, he was elected to the Tennessee General Assembly. He also served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1827 to 1831, and then from 1833 to 1835, where he opposed many of President Andrew Jackson's policies, including the Indian Removal Act. In 1836, he took part in the Texas Revolution, and he died at the Battle of the Alamo. Although there is some controversy because supposedly a memoir of some soldier who fought there says that he was actually captured and executed. Mm. And But now there's a big controversy because there's supposedly evidence now to support both versions. Right. But the official version is that he died at the Battle of the, the Alamo. Battle. But anyway, Walt Disney adopted the stories of his life into a television miniseries named after him. Which aired in 1954 and 1955 on their Disneyland program. He was portrayed by Fess Parker, wearing a coonskin cap. He was also portrayed by John Wayne in the 1960 film The Alamo. And most recently by Billy Bob Thornton in the 2004 film The Alamo. Do you know who this is? I do, do you know? Really? Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett is correct. So you knew it. And yes. you had no idea, Bryce? No, I just I saw Indy get excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> you can interrupt me anytime. I let them no, take no, the win. No. Oh, I would never. Correcting people on the internet? Interrupt anytime you want. That's what Tommy does. Yeah. But Tommy would have interrupted about during that whole fucking thing. Because Tommy would have been 
complaining about the whole entire thing. Anyway, here's an excerpt from right. the Ballad of Davy Crockett oh, no. from the Davy Crockett <laughs> Show. Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, the greenest state in the land of the free. Raised in the woods so he knew every tree and killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy, Davy. Crockett, the king of the wild frontier. Yeah, when I was a kid, I fucking loved that song. And that was actually Fess Parker himself singing on the lead. Really? Oh, yes, it was. Him. So, to Davy Crockett, we say... We now move on to our next birthday celebrant. He was born August 17th, 1943 in Manhattan, the son of painters. He studied acting at the Stella Adler Conservatory and Lee Strasberg's actor's studio. You're probably going to know this one. <laughs> I was going to say living, right? His yes. first film was 1968's Greetings, directed by Brian De Palma. He received notice for his portrayal of a baseball catcher dying of Hodgkin's disease in the 1973 film Bang the Drum Slowly. Later that year, he collaborated for his first time with director Martin Scorsese on the film Mean Streets, co-starring Harvey Keitel. This was followed by his portrayal of a young Vito Corleone in 1974's Godfather Part Two, for which he won the Best Supporting Actor Oscar. He was also nominated for uh, the Academy Award for Best Actor for his portrayal of Travis Bickle in 1976's Taxi Driver. It's Rob De Niro, right? It's Robert De Niro! Oh my god! I couldn't oh my god! I was, you, I was I, like, how long is it going to take for you to get this Did you see me losing my fucking mind because I knew who it was, but I couldn't think of his goddamn name? Oh my god! So I'll, give you, I'll give you some more of his biography. <laughs> he was nominated for Best Actor twice for uh, Travis Bickle in Taxi Driver and for uh, playing a soldier in The Deer Hunter in 1978. But he won the Academy Award for Best Actor for, do you know what film? No. Raging Bull, his portrayal of boxer Jake LaMotta. Oh, okay. 1980. He also received Best Actor nominations for the 1990, I'm sorry, the 1990 film Awakenings with Robin Williams. Have you ever seen that? No, I don't. Oh, it's a really good film. I don't really, Oh, uh, yeah, definitely add to the list. Uh, 1991's Cape Fear, opposite Nick Nolte. He played a, oh that whole creepy scene he has with uh, Juliet Lewis. Oh my god, he puts his fingers in her mouth. Ah, it's so creepy. <laughs> and he was also nominated for best supporting actor for 2012's Silver Linings Playbook. You right, seen he that? He was fucking in that. Yes, he was. He's he in was that. A, he was a father, basically with OCD or whatever. Yeah. He has also received a Golden Globe Award, the Cecil B. DeMille Award, and a Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award. Oh wow. In 2009, he received the Kennedy Center Honors, and in 2016, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Barack Obama. Oh, shit. Wow. Other notable roles include, and I just saw this film recently, Rupert Pupkin in Scorsese's 1982's The King of Comedy. I haven't seen that one. You haven't seen... Oh, we're, no. we're adding that to the list. <laughs> oh, him, Sandra Bernard, 
Ooh. Jerry Lewis. Oh. It's an amazing film. That sounds It's really, really good. amazing. He also played the revolutionary repairman in the 1985 Terry Gilliam film, Brazil. Have you ever seen that? No, I have not. Oh my God, there are so many films I have to catch you up on. Jeez. There are. Have you ever seen it? I have not. Oh no. my God, another great film. Uh, he was in this 1986 film, which I know you haven't seen, because most people haven't seen it, called The Mission with Jeremy Irons. It takes place in like the 17th century in South America. No, I've seen it. You have I've seen it. I went to Catholic school. Oh, I'm sorry, of course. <laughs> then, then, then yes, you saw it. Yes, I saw it. Jeremy Irons is in it. Yes. Beautifully photographed. Oh, Sad yeah. movie in the end. Of course. But it's a really, really good film. Really, really, really good. Yes. He also played Al Capone in 1987's The Untouchables. Uh, You've seen that? Oh my you haven't God! Seen the fucking Untouchables? No, I haven't. Not Jesus historically Christ. accurate, but a really entertaining I, film. My film a phenomenal knowledge film. goes up through like musicals, like Singing in the era okay and then we hit on like disney's renaissance and then maybe like 2000 is where we pick up on things oh and my i'm God. slowly getting introduced to like late 80s early 90s well when so, did you see labyrinth for the first time that was 2019 yeah wow yeah. wow girl you got some catching up to do oh, trust me i have so many i'm not as bad as red well, let me see what other Izzy's robert de niro right, films you've right. seen you get more disappointed in me. The 1988 <laughs> film Midnight Run with Charles Grodin. He plays the bail bondsman. See, I feel like and he's uh, transferring uh, uh, Robert uh, Charles Grodin character, the accountant for the mobster. I feel like I've had to. Oh my god, good comedy. Really good. He's really good in that. 1990s Goodfellas. You did not see Goodfellas? Oh it, my god. Indie doesn't. Mob movies aren't indie. Break though. up with him now? Break up. Right. End this relationship <laughs> now. That's it. Audience, you've heard it here first. <laughs> 1995's Casino. Oh my god! <laughs> that, I haven't seen that one either. You haven't seen Casino either? I've seen so many fucking mob films, Patrick. Oh I my. need to spread them out. It's a Martin Scorsese film. Don't miss it. It's a Mar when you got to see Martin Scorsese, you got to see it. They're All right, great so movies. So I will set aside a weekend we'll and just fellas. marathon through Martin Scorsese okay. and The Godfather. How about 1993's This Boy's Life with Leonardo DiCaprio? He plays this abusive stepfather. No. Oh my God, he's always horribly mean in this movie. You'll hate him in this oh, movie. But he's he's so good at that though. Yeah, oh he's real oh my you really hate him at this in this movie. Nineteen nineties analyze this with Billy Crystal. Yes. Yes. Uh, you're, okay, uh, you that saw one. that one. I know that one, yes. <laughs> and did you see the sequels also? No. Okay. How about the 1999 film Flawless with Philip Seymour Hoffman, where he's recovering from a stroke and Philip Seymour Hoffman's playing this drag performer who helps him... I uh, feel like I should have seen that speak. one, but no. no. It's good. Not a great movie, but it's good. But it's Philip Seymour Hoffman and Rob De Niro. Right, yeah. I have to see no, it. No, you gotta see it. Uh, 2000s, Meet the Parents with Ben Stiller. No. Uh, okay, um, yeah. I saw it. I'm not a big fan of those movies. I've seen a few minutes and I was over it. Uh, the talk show host in 2019's The Joker. Yes, of we course. saw The Joker. Okay. We saw The Joker in theaters, right? Yes, we did see yeah. it. Okay, I'm not a big fan of that film for various reasons. But... I have a lot of issues with that one, but... And then lastly, 2019's The Irishman. No. Yeah. Oh, you gotta see that. Really, really good. It's a very understated movie. I want to say that it's one came out right around when film. I needed surgery and stuff, so we weren't going to see any movies. Oh, my God. That was a Netflix release. Irishman? Yeah. Oh, well, then I wasn't watching anything on Netflix either. Yeah, no. But you believe it or not, do mob movies. Believe it or not, Robert De Niro did have one bad role in my eyes. Oh. Really? 
It's a 2007 film. It's a fantasy film called Stardust. <gasps> no! That's slander. You saw that movie? I you like that movie? that movie? I like most of that movie until his you character don't like comes Captain up. Shakespeare in Captain drag? Sh oh my god, he just plays this <laughs> mincing, cross-dressing pirate I, character. He, yes, it is. And it's not it's, good. It's, oh, it's bad. It's but, oh, yes, okay. but he walked so our flag means death could run, Patrick. <laughs> no, the world and, needed gay pirates. And like, okay, I understand it's not a great movie. I, that is also It's fun. I look at Claire Danes is in that. That is it's, the, otherwise, yeah. I like that movie. It's one of the only but Neil Gaiman sequence, books I'm just I can't like, read. Oh. What's the, that? It's one of the only Neil Gaiman books I can't read. Really? I saw the movie in theaters. I, I was like 13. It was my first PG-13 movie that I could go see Ooh. without my parents. I was very excited. And I loved it. I loved it. It was so good. It, for 13-year-old me, and anytime I've gone to read the book, it's so different from the book. Okay. And I can't can't do it. But no, I'm sorry. I love that movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I don't care. <laughs> Your podcast. You're allowed to say whatever you want, Mike. <laughs> But you're a guest, so you can say whatever you want on this too. So, All right. well, I think we're in our first fight. Then. <laughs> in this relationship, no. Any relationships with everyone tonight? Where's Abigail? Burn those She's bridges. next. But anyway, to Robert De Niro, we say. <laughs> Happy but we now move on to our next segment. Today in history. This seems appropriate for today in history because of what happened to Bryce earlier this today. Uh, Bryce, what happened to you earlier today? I, I was coming home. Uh -huh. I, I had stopped at the store to pick something up. Yes. And I was coming home in a different route than I usually do. Yes. And I saw a car accident. Okay. So I went to pull over. Okay. And a good Samaritan. And I got fucking rear-ended because no good deed goes unpunished. And, and no lube either, huh? No, and no lube. And they're handling this so well. Just fucking raw. Yes, Bryce seems to have, he's a magnet for bad luck when it comes to I, automobiles. Truly. Never getting in my car again. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had this car a fucking year. No. And the last car you had, you hadn't had a year. Well, the last car I had had to be totaled right away. Yes. And then the one before that, I had for a while. So that was my dad's car. Still awful luck with cars. Uh, yes. That's what it sounds like. I've been through six cars in the five years I've been driving. It's ridiculous. Oh, my God. So what happened today in history that correlates to bad luck with cars? Yes, today, August 17th in 1896, was the first recorded case of a pedestrian killed in a collision with a motor car. Really? All right. A woman named Bridget Driscoll, in the company of her teenage daughter May, and her friend Elizabeth Murphy, Murphy were crossing Dolphin Terrace in the grounds of the Crystal Palace in London. When she was struck by a car belonging to the Anglo-French Motor Carriage Company that was being used to give demonstration rides. Jesus Christ. One witness described the car as traveling at, quote, a reckless pace, in fact, like a fire engine. However, the car's maximum speed was eight miles per hour, and it had been <laughs> deliberately limited to four miles per hour, the speed at which the driver claims he was traveling. His passenger, Alice Standing of Forest Hill, alleged that he modified the engine to allow it to go faster. But another taxicab driver examined the car, and he testified that it was incapable of exceeding 
four and a half miles per hour. Of course, this collision happened just a few weeks after a new act of parliament had increased the speed limit for cars to 14 miles per hour from two miles per hour in towns <laughs> and four miles per hour in the countryside. The jury returned a verdict of accidental death following an inquest of six hours. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I can't stop thinking of what was the name of this car company? It was the... Anglo-French Motor Carriage Company. I, I don't know why that stuck with me. I don't know why either. I don't think they still exist. Oh, absolutely not. Not with that name, anyway. But that's just a warning to all you pedestrians out there. Be on the watch at all times. You don't trust these drivers. Absolutely not. <laughs> drivers don't trust pedestrians, and no one trusts bikers. Yep. And also today in history, on August 17th, 1945, this book was published, written by George Orwell, written between November of 1943 and February of 1944. Prior to writing the book, Orwell had quit the BBC because he was upset about a booklet for propagandists that the British Ministry of Information was putting out uh, okay. that included instructions on how to, how to quell ideological fears of their new war ally, the Soviet Union. Orwell was a socialist, but he hated the totalitarian regime of the Soviet Union under Joseph Stalin. And in fact, the manuscript for this book was almost lost when a German V-1 flying bomb destroyed his home in London. And Orwell spent hours sifting through the, the rubble to find the pages intact. You know what book I'm talking about yet? 1985. Wrong! No? This book is an allegory of the Russian Revolution, the rise of Stalin, oh. the purges conducted under his rule, okay. his alliance with and betrayal by Germany in World War II, and the beginning of the Cold War. The CIA dropped off millions of copies of it by balloon into Poland, Hungary, and Czechoslovakia during the 50s. In 2005, Time Magazine chose this novel as one of the best English language novels. In the U.S., it has faced a number of challenges... Yeah. and was recently, in 2017, removed from the curriculum of the Stonington, Connecticut School District, which caused an uproar in the community. Good, as it damn well should. And which novel is it? This is Animal Farm. Animal Farm is correct. It's been removed from more than that curriculum. You're right. Yeah. You, did you read Animal Farm in school? Which is surprising yep. in country Pennsylvania, but <laughs> yes, I did. We, we did also. We read that, I think, back-to-back -back with Brave New World and 1984. I think we like read them all in the same year. Why did I... I was cut, cut out me. What? Oh. Cut out me saying 1985. <laughs> I was I'm an English major. Yes, maybe. George Orwell Jr.'s 1985. 1985. Written by his grandson. I can't be <laughs> embarrassed English. as an English major on this podcast, Patrick. <laughs> Surprised you didn't say Big Mother is watching you. <laughs> Big Mother... <laughs> <laughs> I was told specifically not to read it in high school, so I did. Why were you told not to read it in high school? Because there was a bitchy nun. Danny probably knows her too, and she just had very specific ideas. She also was against like Harry Potter, which like we all should be at this point. But okay, but you think um, she would have liked this book, being that it was really anti-communist, you know? Well, Patrick, also, communism can't be portrayed without the kids turning into communists. I know, which is so ridiculous, of course. She's, Got plenty of her own ideas, and I then twisted her final project to write about Stephen King, and, you know, graduated and never saw her again, and she uh, was happy to see the last of me, so. <laughs> Praise yeah. Jesus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bryce, you were saying? 
Kind of Blue by Miles Davis was released today, wasn't it? 60, really? I did not know that. 63 years ago today, Kind wow. of Blue was released. Ooh. Yeah, my favorite jazz album of Ooh. all time was released today. I think I have that album. Stop before we yeah. start grooving out. Hi, welcome to Grumpy Old Gentleman. How y'all doing tonight? We're listening to Miles Davis here tonight. We're just going to listen to the whole album. <laughs> You're just going to sit back and enjoy it with us. Honestly, no editing required for that podcast. But yes, great album, Miles Davis, 1959. Yep. Every jazz enthusiast should have a copy of that album. Absolutely. Absolutely. Miles Davis and Bill Evans changed the face of jazz music with that album. Yes, they did, without a doubt. So now we'll move into our next segment, which is... What day is it? Could you please tell me? What day is it? I'm confused, you see. <laughs> and who would have been confused? Because you know what today is? Well, I mentioned earlier about under a heavy petting that I yeah. cut out a segment, which now I can bring up here, which is today is Black Cat Appreciation Day. You should uh, appreciate black cats every day. Have you, you ever owned a black like, cat? No, I have not. I own a very dark gray cat. Ah, uh, how about you, Bryce? I've never, my family never owned cats because my dad is extremely allergic. So are you. Yeah, but I don't care. I'll pet a cat. Um, But my dad is extremely allergic, so we always just had dogs growing up. Okay. Yeah, I never had a black cat either. I had um, Siamese. I think we had a Persian, but no, never had a black cat. My neighbor had a black cat, really friendly black cat. Loved it. And that's part of the thing is that according to the adoption shelters and stuff, black cats and black dogs, for that matter, are like the least likely to be adopted. Yes. Yeah. Because And it's for various reasons. People believe it or not attach superstition to yeah. having black cats yeah. and black dogs uh, especially black dog. everyone thinks a black dog is like automatically fierce and dangerous and everything and no it's just black yeah that's all it is you well, know there's a commentary to be made there socially right Patrick. I'm now. I know. Yeah, we could. Well, I'm not. I'm not even gonna get into the whole racial aspect. But I, we understand. Yes, there are all these negative aspects yeah. to the color black. But actually, I was when I from what I was reading when the film Black Panther came out. Suddenly, there was a small trend of people adopting black cats. That's awesome. And then naming the the, the cats after characters from the film. That's very cool. Right. That's so good. So I thought that was really cool. But among famous black cats, it, they these include Felix the cat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Pluto from Pose the Black Cat. No. Oh, you don't know the Black Cat story? You didn't no. read that in school? No. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, yes. Edgar okay. Allan Poe. Sorry, I'm thinking Pose like P O S E. Like, like, no, I yeah. don't know that story. <laughs> Sorry, Edgar about Allan that. Poe the Black Cat. Yes, yes, that one I know. Uh, Mr. Mistopheles from T.S. Yes. Eliot's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Yes. Mm-hmm. From an original episode of Star Trek that starred Terry Gar, there was a black cat in there called Isis. That's right. 
Right. Right? And later yeah. on, it turned into this beautiful, exotic-looking woman. Yeah. And it changed back again. Fucking nerds. There's also <laughs> the black cat from the, one of the movies that I hate the most, Binks from Hocus Pocus. Yes, All Patrick right. hates Hocus Pocus. It's I second that fight, movie. Patrick. No, that's <laughs> Please, you can join my husband and watch it with him. He <laughs> loves that movie. Oh, my God. Fine. Also, Salem from Sabrina. Sabrina. Of course. Right? Of course. Very cool my black cat. Favorite sass. And then lastly, Snowball 2 from The Simpsons. You've never been a big Simpsons fan. No? Oh, my no. God. Are you a commie? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but that's the story on Black Cat Appreciation Day. All right. We're now moving to our next segment, but I need one of you to volunteer a cough because our next segment is Turn Your Head and Cough. <coughs> okay, that'll do. That'll do. That'll, <laughs> Thank you. That'll suffice. Thank you. I try. And I thought for this, we'll make it a short episode. We'll make it our latest monkeypox update. Oh, Lord. Would you like to hear the latest figures? Let's yes. hear it. Worldwide, there are now 39,434 cases. The United States has 13,516 cases. New York State has 2,675 cases, of which 2,483 are in New York City. Westchester County has 67, Suffolk County has 39, and Nassau has 27. As far as the demographics go on this, 97% of the cases are men. 2% are transgendered or non-conforming. This is in New York State we're only talking about. Mm, yeah. None are women. Really? None of them are women. Wow. 83% are gay or bisexual, 6% are straight, 11% are unknown, 34% are white, 33% are Latino or Hispanic, 15% are black or African American, 53% are between 18 to 34 years old, and 43% are between 35 to 54, uh, 43, I'm sorry, 43% are between the ages of 35 and 54. 4% of the cases are, are men 55 and older, and like I said, you know, 83 or so it's basically we're talking about men having sex with men right yep that this is continuing and what's really bad because this could have been yes stopped from spreading yep. a hell of a lot sooner yep but due to the majority demographic that was affected by this virus no one gave a shit same not. thing as 40 years ago, Patrick. Yeah. They're not going to care till they get it. Right? You know, it was okay when the gays and the, you know, the junkies and the Haitians were getting it. But after that, oh, no, we got to worry about it now. Yep. yep. Exactly. Now straight white men. Yeah. Now it's an issue, Patrick. I know. Well, according to this, only 6% of them are getting it right now. It's like, what's it going to take? Uh, you know, 10%, 20%? How much you want to yeah. bet some of those 6% are lying? themselves or their wives well like i said yeah 11 percent are unknown sexuality there we go. My, my apologies right so yeah so that's just that's the latest update on uh, monkey pots real exciting yeah. right oh thrilling <laughs> thrilling and now for our next segment we take a look into my briefs <laughs> loud when you're listening on the podcast. <laughs> good. That's good to hear. Tommy's always worried that someone's going to like have a car accident while they're listening to no, it no. when they hear that. I no, have well, right. It is very Not loud much. when you're sitting out there. I'm sure. In the kitchen. But for today's look into my brief, surprise, surprise, this case comes out of Florida. <gasps> no. This is my shocked face. Right? Well, a teenager who is 10 weeks pregnant 
Oh, God, I heard about this. Yes, she applied oh, to God. get an abortion. And she went to trial court, and trial court denied it. And then it went to the District Court of Appeals. And there were four judges on the court. Okay. And the three judges upheld the trial court's decision, saying that the teenager had not established by clear and convincing evidence that she was sufficiently mature to decide whether to terminate her pregnancy. Yep. Cool, so when that child dies on the fucking street... She's 16. 16 years old. And she was told that. So now the biggest thing everyone's coming out with, because she has also been told that she is not allowed to give it up. Like, it is hers now. It is her decision. She And I don't know the legalities of me. Well, yeah, that's a, whole, that's a whole other issue. I was going to say, point. I don't know the legalities of that, but like, okay, so she's mature but enough. She, then this, girl, this girl, number one, she lives with a relative. She doesn't have parents, yeah. but she lives with a relative. She also has a legal guardian. And as the dissenting judge noted, she was savvy enough to do Google searches to understand her medical options and their consequences, yeah. that she was pursuing a GED with involvement in a program designed to assist young women who have experienced trauma in their lives by providing educational support and counseling. Also, the minor herself had experienced renewed trauma, the death of a close friend, Shortly before she decided to seek termination of her pregnancy. But the dissenting judge noted that she filled out the petition herself in her own hand. That she, And as far as he was concerned, she was sufficiently mature to make the decision. Saying that she was not ready to have a baby. She said she doesn't have a job. She is still in school. And the father of the child is unable to assist her. And the guardian said she is fine. The guardian said that they, they're fine with whatever the minor wants to do. Yeah. But no, so she's mature enough to carry a child for nine months and give birth to it, but she's not mature enough to make a decision on whether or not to terminate the pregnancy. Of course not, Patrick. Because it's not about maturity, it's just about controlling women. Yeah, that's exactly what it's about. And I don't know if at this point she's going to go to a higher court of appeal, I don't know if this, she's going, if this goes to the Florida, I don't know if this is in federal court in Florida or yeah. in state court in Florida. So I don't know what the appeals route is, but she's only got a, a she has the clock ticking on her because in yeah. April, good old Governor DeSantis he signed a law that banned abortion after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Yep. Yep, and by that point, don't and and you got to figure right now what today's what the seventeenth, and that hearing was on August tenth, I guess, yep. and she was ten weeks, so she's now about she's eleven to twelve weeks pregnant. Yeah, so she's got maybe about three more weeks left before and, she can. And I'm not saying she was wrong in moving this up, but by moving this up, she eliminated any chance of like, okay, well, I'll go to another state, I'll yeah. try to get somewhere else where they can do this because. No, I'm sure, and this is not me being a flipper glib, she's going to fall down a flight of stairs soon. Like, we're going to find it coming up that she got horribly injured and something happened, but we're going to see a lot more of that. Yep. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but yeah, we are going to see, we're going to see more cases like this, and we're going to see more horrible consequences because yeah. of cases like this. And that's the real shame of it, you know? But anyway, let's go on to a little lighter topic where we play Get the Guest. How about a little round of Get the Guests? How and since you're a new guest here, Indy, it's your turn to play. Ooh. Now, we understand that you're a member of a roller derby league. I am. And what is this league that you're a member of? I'm a member of the Long Island Roller Rebels, Patrick. Ooh. <laughs> how long have you been a member of the Long Island Roller Rebels? Seven years. Seven years. Wow. 
I think. Yeah. It had been four or five when we got to Yeah, so seven years. Okay, now is that the name of the league? Is that the name yes. of your team? The league and the team are the Long Island World of Rebels. We are technically the Nassau League. In okay. In Suffolk, there is Strong Island Derby Revolution. Ooh, and where do you, and you play in both Nassau and Suffolk County? I play wherever they are willing to take me at this point. Um, <laughs> I My league plays in Suffolk, but we also play all over the place. I've played in Canada. I've played in Florida. Um, my league, before I joined, they were in Helsinki for a little while playing. Oh, damn. Um, That's Kat, impressive. Cat's trying to get us to Ireland to play next year. Wow. I don't think it's happening. We're going to say, you better get good. <laughs> yeah. No, no. They're around us number-wise. Okay, okay. They're around us number-wise, but um, no, we can't afford that. It's expensive. I'm going to say, how much, Shocked are, Patrick apparently. How much are, uh, are dues going to be? Going oh, jeez. Right? Yeah, no thank you. Is it generally expensive to be in a roller derby league? Yes and no. The gear to start off is expensive. Okay. Um, and upgrading the gear is expensive. My skates were my, um, I shattered my ACL, so I was coming off of injury, and my skates were like my get better present to myself, basically, and they were probably $600, and that's with like, I already own the plates. Hello. Hello, Abigail. Sorry, Abigail came in. Abigail came in. Abigail has chosen me, so. Right. So yeah, the gear is expensive. Actually, staying on the leak, we have dues every month. Um, The dues are cheaper if you help out. I'm not going to spill my tea. <laughs> she looked like she wanted to join no. you, so I was going to take your tea for yeah, you. Yeah, no. It's it's like any club. I'm not going to say theater experience because I don't think you guys put money into theater. Just costumes Oh, honey, you'd stuff. be surprised. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Well, I don't want to speak for it because I haven't darkened a stage since a while ago. Um, yeah, so there we go. That's Roller Derby. Cool. Thank and you. what's the name of your team that you're on? Long Island Roller Rebels. Long Island Roller Rebels. And do you, I don't know really much about <laughs> Roller Derby itself. Do you play a certain such position? Well, I know, I day. know. Hey, I used, I saw that Raquel Welch movie about the roller derby. Oh, Have you ever seen that? Whip it. Whip it. Is that the name of it? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I had some other name. There might be another one. The big derby movie everyone knows now is Whip it's It. Is Whip It. Yeah. Oh, okay. There's another one from the 70s that Raquel oh, okay. Welch made. Oh, no. I don't know Rollerball? that one. No, no. It's James no. Conn. Oh, yeah. That's Love a, that that's movie. Love that movie. One, fucking that's great, great movie. And that movie. remake sucks. Oh my god! Watch yeah. the original with James Cars, the fucking best. That one I know. Okay, that's a good. One. But yeah, there's also another Raquel Welch movie when she's a, she's a roller derby player. Okay, I gotta find it and I'll put it on the uh, bonus materials. Okay, uh, it's going on the bow curve, and I won't look it up. <laughs> um, I there are I guess like two kind of three positions. There's a jammer. They're the star. They're the ones who get the points. Okay. Um, for you sports people, they're technically the ball, but not really. Then uh, there's a pivot. They're the stripe helmet. They can become the jammer. I don't like doing either of those things. I am just a blocker. I like okay. standing around and hitting people. So when can a pivot become a jammer? When the jammer decides it. Okay, so there can jammer be... Jammer takes off the star and hands it to the pivot if they're struggling. Okay, so there only can be one jammer at a time? For each team. For each team. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, if the jammer gives up being a jammer, what does that, jam what does that former jammer jammer become a blocker a blocker yep and, and that's the third position then. yes okay so you there have the so you have the, the jammer mm -hmm. the pivot and the blocker yes there are three blockers on each team on okay. the track yep 
one pivot. They're all in a wall. Their job is to play offense and defense. So okay. they're stopping the other team's jammer and helping their own jammer get through the other team. Ah, okay. And then um, there's the jammer who is doing that. And how they get points is when the jammer passes the other team's blocker's hips. Really? That's how you score points in that? Pass hips. Wow, I yeah. had no idea. So that's why everyone keeps just going round and round until that happens, I guess. Yep. yep. Okay. So, that's really go. cool. How many points do you need to score to win? However many you can. Oh, I've okay. I've games yep. where it's this tour time. is like... Oh, it's a set time yes. you have to play with? Yeah. So okay. it's two half-hour, half-hour halves. Okay, I was going to um, ask, are there quarters, periods, nope. anything like that? Halves with a 15-minute um, intermission. They call it an intermission, which annoys that one. Because it's halftime, it's not an intermission. <laughs> yeah, we it's a halftime. It, yeah, I know it's a halftime, but on. we call it an intermission. I'm a, gay, even I know that. <laughs> Jeez. We call it an intermission, I know it's wrong. Intermission? No! Um... <laughs> But yeah, there's the two half There are fear people all over the world that are listening to say, no! Probably screaming, crying. And sports just, enthusiasts are saying, no! There's just as many gays in Roll the Derby, I promise. Um, but I've seen games with scores as low as like 36 to 37, and I've seen games with scores as high as like 500 to something. Okay. So you play, uh, you're primarily a blocker then? Yes, I do not jam. Oh, you do not jam. I do not jam. I do Why not do you like not like jamming. being a jammer? No. That's no? too much pressure. I am not a good jammer. I, I Look at me. I'm not built to be a jammer. What Jammers kind of... are like the tiny ones. Oh, they have to be the tiny quick ones? The super quick. Little... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super quick. I Roller derby is for all body sizes, and everyone can play every position. I personally do not like jamming in the slightest. Okay. But if you ever want to come see a game, I'm going to do a shameless plug. Uh, Please do. That's what we're here for. November 12th at Skate Safe in Bethpage. You can come see the Long Island Roller Rebels play. Where is Skate Safe located in Bethpage? less than 10 minutes away from here. Down Spagnoli Road. It's right by where I oh, used to work. Oh, okay. Yeah. Down by where? Right by where I used to work. Free. Uh, oh, free. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right if you go down 110, you see the Hilton. Make it right there. It is right down there. Oh, cool. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. From here, you'd make the left. Oh, my apologies. I don't know my right from my left either, so. Okay. <laughs> now, in a sport like roller derby, as uh -huh. we as we used to see, we used to watch women's roller derby on Sunday nights with my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Channel 9. Yes. Occasionally, it gets, it's obviously a very physical game you're playing. Have you ever been involved in any fights during roller derby on the track? Fights? No. No? No. Have there been any been fights? Any fights occurred while you've been in a match? I've seen one, but it probably wouldn't even be a fight like you would think of it. Um, okay. As much as the Derby of the seventies was its own special thing, and some it, of that was probably scripted too. Back yes. Then. Yep. When it came back around and really had its um, resurgence in the nineties, it really became more about being a sport and. So it's real hits now, and it's... So it's no longer about the violence Yeah, no, and all it's that. not showboating. Yeah. Um, there's much less fishness. It's not like, you know, WWE yeah. wrestling, yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's no. nothing like it that. Is, there are, like, the it's first, a legitimate sport. The first question I always get asked is, oh, do you throw elbows? No, that's illegal. That's a penalty. Yeah. I try not to get penalties, weirdly enough. Right. Um, well, some people do. Yeah, I know. But you have gotten injured in the sport, right? Yes. How have you gotten injured? I've sprained my ankle. I've broken a rib. I have broken my tailbone too many times, but that's also from skating outside too and not paying attention to what I'm doing. And um, the worst one is I shattered my ACL. Ooh. Yeah, that yeah, was that right around when 
You had your heart your heart surgery. I that's believe. right. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, yep, so that's what I was back now. Yeah, I was coming over on crutches, and you were very pale the first time I met you. And I was like, <laughs> "Where? Great pair? Cripple and a ghost? Right? Yeah. Oh my god! Great pair. Um, yeah. No, that was probably the worst one. That was also a mistake that I had made. It's not like. But, but it's something you had done like a million times. It's something I had done a lot, yes. So I shouldn't have gotten injured doing it, but I did. Um, and it was ten times worse because it was a four-game weekend and it was five minutes into the first game. And I apparently have a very high pain tolerance. I stood up and was walking around. I tried to skate after it. And the only reason I stopped was because I couldn't stop myself. Yeah. But, like, I was fine. I was walking around, which apparently isn't a thing you're supposed to do if you don't have an ACL anymore. Yes, that's true. Um, <laughs> Most people would be yeah, crying. I right? Was, I was fine. So then, of course, the team's like, no, you didn't really get hurt. And it was a lot of drama and a lot of problems. Oh, um, wow. But, yeah, I'm healed up now. I'm back to skating. Come see us November 12th. At Skate Safe. If not for me, then the Youthful Ward will be there selling tickets. So. And also for anyone who might be interested out there, if anyone wants to join. If uh, anyone wants to join, look up Long Island Roller Rebels on Instagram, Facebook, and message. I'm not the one answering, thank goodness for you. Is there a website also? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. Because we're undergoing some changes right now. Ah. But well, COVID hit everyone. So yes, we're trying it has. To, we're trying to come back from that. Right. But Instagram or Facebook, you can... The person who answers that is a wonderful human being, and she will get you hooked up, any questions you have, get you started. Oh, fantastic. Et cetera. Excellent. You going to join, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little too delicate for the sport. No. Stephen, on the other hand. There's room for everyone. I'll send Stephen. <laughs> no, no. Stephen would throw elbows. <laughs> Stephen's jamming, I'm out. No, thank you. All done. It's time for my break. No squeezing through for Stephen. <laughs> well, Steven. thank you for sharing with us your roller derby exploits. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word I wanted to say. My side hustle. <laughs> but now it's time for the next segment. The Week in Fascism. Oh, it's a fun topic, right? Always. I love this segment. And for the top of this segment, I'm going to talk about the most recent news, and that is Congresswoman Liz Cheney yeah. losing in the Republican primary in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. She lost the vote. Shame. She got basically only 30% of the vote yeah. in the mm-hmm. primary, which... She didn't seem to be shocked by it. No one really seems to be shocked by no. it. Right. To me, and I posted this earlier on my own social media on Facebook, I said her losing was the final nail in the coffin of the Republican Party. Yep. As we used to know it. Yes. Because you're talking about the woman known as Darth Vader's daughter. Yeah. You know, Dick Cheney's daughter, you know? She was as conservative as they come. She was into the whole Republican Party agenda, hook, line, and sinker, when they had an agenda. Yeah. And then Trump came along, and then the agenda became whatever Trump wanted. Yep. And even to that extent, she went along with that for so long. Yeah. Until January 6th happened. Yeah. And then she said, enough. Right. And... For that, I applaud her. I applaud her for, for doing that. Yeah. I, I, have, I I don't like her politics at all. I mean, I don't like Republican oh, no, absolutely not. politics, period. But no, but someone I, turning around and taking a stand. But her taking a stand, you yeah. have to admire and respect that. Yeah, I was going to say, I respect any of them who turned around afterwards and were like, fuck that. Right? But, but it's just like I said, this, rep- this is 
this Republican Party just seemed to change. You could like trace it from, I guess, Barry Goldwater's first run when he was considered an extremist at that yeah. time. And then Reagan bringing in all the whole religious element into it. Yeah. And talking about, you know, basically making the federal government the enemy. And that continued yeah. with New Gingrich. And just, it's culminated to where this Republican Party is now. Yeah. Where it's now just this fascist cult. Yep. That's centered around this one man, and it's scary as fuck. Yeah, it's so terrifying. It's culminating here, and it's just going to keep moving but it, right. This was always the plan to take the rights away from everybody who doesn't look and act exactly like them. I know. It's it's just it's it's horrifying to think about that possible kind of future. Yeah, it's fucking I mean, dreadful. It's here. What? It's here. It's here, yeah. It, but, like, right now, we're, like, just holding it off. Because I'm afraid, you know, once the 22 elections are held, yeah. the Republicans take back control of the House, yep. and they're going to just start investigating everything the Biden administration is doing, especially the Justice Department and the FBI, yep. to get revenge for what they're doing to Trump now. Of course. Make a big show. And I, I'm predicting that they're going to draw up articles of impeachment against Biden. I don't know for what yet, Yeah, but I think they will. They will try to impeach him. I agree. Oh, because it'll be a t- another thing tip for tap because of Trump. Yep. Just like we did with Trump. They're right? going to have to do it. With- yeah. Doesn't mean the Senate's going to go along with it, but I believe this House will if it's oh, taken yeah. over by these kind of Republicans. Oh, yeah. Because, like I said, the party is taken over by them now. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there may be a few, quote-unquote, moderates left, but they're only moderate in comparison to them. Yeah. They're right. still the same conservative Republicans we knew before Trump came along. Yeah. You know? Half the people we considered moderate, consider moderate now, were fucking extreme ten years ago. Yeah. And it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, right? It really is. But on to our next topic in the week in fascism. And this is one I've been covering a lot of lately. And it's been about basically discrimination and bias against transgender people and gender nonconforming people. And this was something that came to my attention on Twitter. That all of a sudden there are all these posts about Eddie Izzard, the comedian. And the general theme of the post, the most common one I saw, I'm trying to find it now. Ah, I found it, I found it. The, The theme, the general theme is, we live in an age where Eddie Izzard is allowed to be a woman, but Joan of Arc isn't. And I saw this repeated over and over again on Twitter. So I was like, what the fuck are they all talking about? So I did a little investigation. And what it is, Eddie Izzard recently appeared on a podcast uh, done by Clive Anderson. Yeah. yeah. He was the former host of um, yeah. Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. The British version. And it seems that in December 2020, Eddie Izzard appeared on this program called Portrait Artist of the Year, where she had her portrait painted by a group of artists. And before even he appeared on this, he, you know, Eddie already identified herself as being gender fluid and yes. and being now based as a trans woman. So he said in the, in the interview about being on his program, he goes, my, my pronouns, I didn't change my pronouns. I was thinking of changing them. Some young artist painting me. They asked me, like a coffee thing. They said, she, her, or he, him. I was wearing a dress and I'm based as a trans woman now, so she, her, and I'll have a latte. It was that kind of a lack of stress. He said that that episode like aired about a year and a half ago, and when it did, in two days in America, where he was best known, all my pronouns were changed. He goes, which is a which is fantastic. 
A great honor. I've been promoted to she. I see it as a great honor. She continued. She goes, I prefer she, her. Don't mind he, him. And I'm going to be rela relaxed about it. It is not the time for fighting each other on this. The extreme right wing, I'm happy to fight them because they get up in the morning with hatred and they push hatred. All the problems in the world seem to start with the extreme right. Even plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a story about Eddie Izzard. So I was like, well, what does Jonah Arc have to do with any of this? Isn't it like a novel? Or no! A play? It's a play! Yeah. <clears throat> On August 25th, it's opening a play at London's Globe Theatre called I, Joan. And Joan of Arc is being portrayed as non-binary. The theater's website describes it as a powerful and joyous new play which tells Joan of Arc's story anew. A group of women's rights, quote-unquote, campaigners <sighs> said the portrayal was insulting and damaging. And, of course, everyone's uh, favorite turf, J.K. Rowling... Joy. Yeah, she liked the remark that's, that re someone wrote that said, Coming next, Napoleon was a woman because he was defeated at Waterloo. Wait, so that, then... That one word I'm not allowed to say, can I say it now? <laughs> if you're referring to the C word, you don't have to. I get the gist of what you're feeling yeah. right now. So the play, so the the theater responded to all this, and it said, "Our new play, I Joan, shows Joan as a legendary leader who uses the pronouns they them. We are not the first to present Joan in this way, and we will not be the last. We can't wait to share this production with everyone and discover this cultural icon." So that's why that's the linkage between the two. So so I want to tackle this twofold. Okay. Right, going back to Eddie Izzard, right, who even in the early days identified as a transvestite. Right. And I feel like we've always known that Eddie Izzard wasn't a man. Right? Like, there's always been something where, like... I mean, just, yes, yeah, he's put, he has played male roles in films. Yeah. We know all that. But so is Kate Blanchett. Yes, exactly. Like, we can't pretend that you can't play. So is Tilda Swinton. Yes. Just singing to her. Right? But it's like, as long as culture has been updating how we refer to transvestites, transgender people, gender fluid, Eddie has been updating what her pronouns are and how yeah. she identifies. I mean, he's six, she is 60 years old yeah, now. Yeah, right. Yeah. And by the way, her last comedy special, phenomenal. That was great. Wunderbar. <laughs> right? It was great. That was fantastic. And as for Joan of Arc, she's fucking dead. What the fuck is she going to say about it? Well, like, like I said... <laughs> Because if everyone knows the story of Joan of Arc, she had these visions where she was supposed to go to the King of France and say that she's going to help help him in the war against England. Yes. Yep. And in order to do so, she had to wear men's clothes because she was leading an army of men. Yep. And she said that she was going to, you know, she wasn't known for wearing men's clothes before it all this time. Yeah. Right. She wore them while she served in the army right. for France. Yes. And she said that she would continue wearing them until she had achieved the goals mm -hmm. of yeah. the visions that she had received. Mm -hmm. So it's not like she identified as a transgendered woman or non-conforming gender right. woman. Because they didn't have those terms back yeah. then, first of all. And there's no evidence of any of that anyway. I just... I... I'm with Eddie that, like, you're just getting mad to get mad. It's like, we know Joan of Arc was a woman. This is an artistic portrayal of her. Yes. I, Why aren't we getting this mad about fucking men in boats, Patrick? Yeah, I know, right? Men in boats. It's a play of all women uh, yeah. playing men. Playing men yeah. in a boat. And there is, people are just going to get mad over everything. And I don't understand this one, honestly. I don't understand why, oh, well, it's someone who's non-conform. Okay, so what? Who who the fuck cares? I know. Are any of, were any of those feminist, heavy air quotes, 
women going to see that show in the first place? No, they want something to get pissed over. Right. Yep. They were never going to see that show. They could not give two flying fucks about it. But now they can get mad about it and get on their high horse of, oh, the men are taking something from us. No, they're not. No, they're fucking No, not. it's they're not, not taking anything no, from you. No, it's not, not affecting them. It has nothing to do with them. It's, no, it's, it's the women who think that feminism means it's all about them. Yeah. And they're wrong. It's these second wave feminists who never caught up to modern third and fourth wave feminism that has come to include everybody. And there was a time and a place for second wave feminism where it was all about the women, but that time has died. And it's about equality yeah. now. Equality and equal treatment for trans women and gender non-conforming people, mm-hmm. as well as cis women. But well, what I have, they don't give a shit. What I have found from my own experience, I'm a 60-year-old gay man, and I'm finding that a lot of gay men of my generation do not fully understand the whole transgenderism, gender nonconformism. And that's they, they really don't get it. And their attitude about it Less can be offensive it. sometimes. Let's that's, put it that way. I, it's like you're an, you're a member of an oppressed minority in this case a sexual minority mm-hmm. yes in their case it's a gender minority you should be able to sympathize with them and yes. i came in with well that's fine though because i ended up having a conversation with someone who was older who was very was older lesbian and she was just very annoyed and upset because she was like i fought so hard as a woman and now there are men coming into my space and telling because they're trans and it was like no 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 first off no they are women coming into your space. Right. Just because you are seeing them in that way, no, they are, that is a woman or that is a gender non-conforming person. That is not a man. Second off, you don't have to understand it. You don't have to sit there and be like, oh, I totally get where this is. Just, it's not someone taking something away from you. It's you welcoming the space for other people. Like the, that whole pie analogy. Like, no, no one's taking pie from you. We're just asking you to share what you just got. Just accept, you yeah. know? Yeah, like, you don't have to understand. And to that point. Your understanding is not necessary exactly. for accepting yes. what they're going through. Or for basic respect. Don't. Like, right. It's fine. Yeah. And to the point of like, oh, I fought so hard for this. Mm-hmm. The fucking... Martha P. Johnson fought before any of you fucking fought for anything. Stormy. Well, that's why in the beginning you never heard when they would always talk about the Stonewall Rebellion. Mm-hmm. You didn't hear about the trans people who were involved yeah. in that. Now no. that's, you always hear about yeah. them now. Yeah, which I think is Which they should great. because they and were front and center, important. you know? Yeah, all of these trans women. was started women. by a trans woman of color. Right, yeah. exactly. So it's, but like I said, it's very, it can be very disheartening at times talking to, like I said, gay men of my generation mm-hmm. who just have this total lack of awareness and it's like yeah so if you don't mind i want to ask you maybe since you're both consider yourself within that gender non-conforming community i mean i don't know how you did what is your gender status i identify as i it's the umbrella term i use i go by trans non-binary okay which is basically the big umbrella right but that's how i identify and that's what i'm most uh comfortable with now explain yes. for our audience what that exactly means well trans non binary has kind of come to encompass really any transgender or non-binary identity, right? It's the big umbrella term, like gay, can encompass gay men, lesbian women. Well, it used to. Now yes. you have to name all of them. Yes, but it's LGBTQIA+. kind of that... LGBTQIA+. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's but it's kind of like yeah. that big umbrella of like gay or queer. So I identify in that because I don't find any of like the micro little identities great. Okay. Right? Like they don't fit. So I just don't use them. So okay. I just use the big term. And yeah, I'm fine with identifying as that. There's some people who like identifying with more neo concise pronouns and stuff. terms. And like, Zimzier. well, the neo pronouns, that's fine with me. I don't get it. Well, we're going to get into the pronouns in a yes. moment. But Andy, yeah. like, how do you do, how how would you classify your gender status? I try not to. Okay, <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. No, I'll just I just go with kind of gender fluid. I don't mind she. I don't mind they. Honestly, I really like kind of just floating around. I'm I'm with Eddie Izzard on this. I like just floating around and day by day. Ask me and yeah, cool, fine. Okay, it's whatever. And just so it's clear to people out there. <laughs> is there a difference between transgender and gender non-conforming and gender fluid? Yes. Yes. How are they all different? Well, transgender means specifically that you identify with the opposite gender that you were assigned at birth. Okay. Um, that is that identification. Gender non-conforming means that you don't identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. So you can be gender non-conforming and trans because, like I said, trans means that if you were assigned female at birth, you are identifying as male or the opposite. And you can be that in gender non-conforming, but gender non-conforming also uh, encompasses being non-binary. Okay. That's my understanding. Okay. Yes. I know. I understand that you're not experts yeah. on this, no, you know? No. That's like um, when I used to work in an office, people would always ask me about gay stuff. As okay. if I was yeah. like the gay expert. Yeah. No, but it's only based on what, you know, yeah. your own um, knowledge and experience. No, agreed. Um, gender non-conforming can be trans. Um, in my experience with gender non-conforming, it's usually someone who um, just doesn't agree with the gender bon uh, binary as we have it and either uses the neo-pronouns, zay, zim, zir, those, um, I'm not going to say those made up ones, so that is not... The intention there. Right. Not. No, the entire English language is made up. That's fair. Thank you, Shakespeare. We can go into my um, degree later. <laughs> gender fluid can be gender non-conforming. Um, I don't really associate gender fluid with trans unless it's under, like, the trans umbrella. Which okay. Sometimes, sometimes non-binary is, sometimes it isn't. Okay. Um, yeah. But gender fluid, it's just kind of back and forth. I'm a Gemini. I can't make up my mind, Patrick. Okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, but I think it helps to explain <laughs> yeah. some of the terminology yes. that's out there to people. There's a lot of it. Yeah, there There's is a lot, so and we're, we're all still learning. You yeah. know, I'm still learning. Because the big thing is it's still developing. Yeah. A lot of this stuff is still very new, and these terms... Because it was never been... out in the open before. Yeah, right. It's always been, it's been a subculture it's underground. It's destroyed every time that it's yeah. come out in the open and gets destroyed. Yeah. Well, how recent is the term transgender? Like, it's still a very new thing. Transsexual was... Transsexual yeah. was the term back in the day of, like, Renee Richards. Yeah. It, we, it's only been, what, two books since then? I mean, but the DSMs don't come out every two years, so... No, but it's still, like... <laughs> Very no, new. but yes, it's there's new terminology, and I read somewhere, you know, the, the book according to Facebook, where it's progress isn't finishing a book. Progress is doing the dishes every day. You have to get up. You have to decide to do the dishes, and that's kind of what it is. Is 
acknowledging, in my experience anyway, it's acknowledging like there's always going to be more to learn. I'm not always going to be right. Right. I'm always going to be finding out new things and have to question what I know and what I've been told and like move forward with it. Okay. That's cool. There we go. That's about as deep as I get. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the next question, of course, because it comes up all the time, is about the use of pronouns. Yes. What's your take on all this? They, them has been a singular pronoun since Shakespearean times. Exactly. That, I know. But people like, oh, all of a sudden now everyone's a proper English speaker. What do you mean, they, them? I'm like, yeah, we, we used to say that as kids and as young adults all the time. Yeah. You oh, know? They left their wallet over there. Can you go yeah, get them? Right? We no. do it all the time. It's casual conversation. Yeah, exactly. So that shouldn't make a big deal here. Exactly. Yes. I never in casual conversation have heard somebody say his or hers in reference to, oh, he or she left his or her wallet here. As an English major, there are times when that's appropriate when you're writing a fucking academic paper. Right. Never in casual conversation. They, them has been in the cultural lexicon as a singular pronoun since the 1600s. And it's never going to change. Of course not. Of course not. That's just the way language is. Language evolves. It changes constantly, all the time. I prefer, of course, the personal pronoun we, as in the royal we. The royal we. I am a queen. The royal (laughs) we is the best singular pronoun of all time. That's my new pronoun, of course. Coming out of here with new pronouns and breaking up with everyone. Now, the question (laughs) is, how or when did you determine your gender status? I... I know, it's a tough question. It's a complicated question. It is tough. Well, it's very I decided, how could I disappoint my parents most? <laughs> <laughs> tattoos weren't doing it. I don't personally know, right? Because it's something that's always changing, and it's like self-discovery. I know when you told me. Well, yes, I know when I told you. You told was... me one, and then a few weeks later, you came I... to me. You were like, <laughs> told actually, you a brand new thing. No. Yes, and that is my life to this day. <laughs> but no, I think the... Because, you know, when you're young, it's the sexuality struggle. and Of course, yeah. Because that, that just kind of, you know, you see Fleetwood Mac performing live and it's like everyone on that stage is very attractive and you don't know what to do with yourself. No, no, you watch The Mummy. You can watch The Mummy. I watched a live performance of Rhiannon on YouTube when I was 12 and my That's life it. changed. I also didn't watch The Mummy. That wasn't mine. Sorry. Uh, um, but so like there's that and then like I feel like once you get comfortable with however you identify your sexuality um, then it's immediately time for your gender crisis <laughs> um, and you have a years long panic about that but I think I didn't condensed. ever ever really I said years plural I didn't ever really start to think about it until my 20s. Okay. But I also wasn't aware of it until then. You know, like it wasn't something growing up in right. Pennsylvania that I was ever taught about or was like available for me to learn out. Yeah. Learn about. So it wasn't until I had like moved up to New York and started really considering these things that it was ever something I was aware of. Um, and I still don't know if I've settled on anything. Like I said, I'm still u- I still use the trans non-binary big umbrella term. Yeah. But I'm always exploring different terminology and seeing what I'm comfortable with and what works for me. Okay. Cool. What about you? Jesus. <laughs> Do you want me to be more verbose so you have more time to think? No. I just, um, well, to my parents, I am still a cis straight human. So. Okay. No, I was a quote unquote late bloomer. I agree with like you figure out your sexuality and then you know you have that crisis also. Um, because even though I grew up in New York, uh, college, I said to the 
the boy I was dating at the time was like, I think I'm bisexual. And he was like, no, you're not. I was like, oh, okay, cool. That, I'm cured. You're right. I'm not. And um, that's the experience I think a lot of people who were, you know, dating the opposite gender but thinking they're bisexual or pansexual. Yeah. And then saying, well, maybe I am. And then being told, well, no, you're dating the opposite gender. You're dating heterosexually. You're not that. I think that's a lot of people's experience. So I was quote-unquote late bloomer and I still think figuring it out and going with the new language seeing what works um it's a cool world out there where you know things can change definitely yeah yeah that's great I know a, well, a lot of times when you read about this they refer to this as gender dysphoria as a mental health condition which I'm sure there are actual clinical cases of gender dysphoria be that as it may I mean, have you ever been told maybe you should go see a therapist about this my thing with that is I think gender dysphoria it gen it is a genuine thing right and it comes in a, like a plethora of different ways be it like genital dysphoria or just the general discomfort in your body which one could argue could be you know body dysmorphia which is a whole yeah other all other issue. issue but you know that's psychology and it's a gross messy thing that nobody understands right excuse you um, <laughs> do, tell, do you understand psychology i mean i have a piece of paper that says i do Ooh. yeah and i was an english major i still so there, so there yeah. i still think catcher in the rye is one of the worst books ever oh it is yeah. it simply no is. arguments here i'm supposed to like it though i majored in the language okay john um but i think it's such a an abstract idea. And I've spoken to therapists about it in the past because, you know, <laughs> I've seen plenty of therapists in my time. <laughs> but it's not something that I think is well understood, right? Outside of, like, genital dysphoria, I do not think that it is well understood in the psychological, in the larger psychological community, right? Like, I'm sure there are people who specialize in whatever, and I can't speak to that because I never no, but there read an academic paper in my life. I have read psychological papers on that one, and so I'm going to cut you off. <laughs> so there, exactly. But it's complicated because there are still so many parts of the world and so many parts of the U.S. where even though, you know, we're, I'm going to say, lucky to live in... New York, and I know there's a very red island, but we're still lucky enough to live in New York where there is still exposure if you know where to find it. And, you know, we have unfiltered internet for the most part where yep. you can learn about these things. There are still parts of the U.S. where, you know, kids are being sent to conversion camps and kids are have their parents sending them off because it's a boy who wears dresses. Yeah. Even if it's just a little boy who's like, hey, they're more comfortable. And you know what? Understanding male anatomy, I get it. Right. Yeah. Um, Kilts have existed for thousands of years. Exactly. Uh, good reason. Brad Pitt just two weeks ago photographed wearing a skirt. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like I understand it with anatomy, and it doesn't necessarily mean that that little boy is transgender or gay or anything well, else. Of it's just not. hey, he liked the skirt. And um, my nephew, he paints his nails, and his mom had to have a whole sit down conversation with him of like, hey, people are gonna make fun of you for this. He's thirteen. He wanted. Uh, purple and blue nails because he thought they looked super cool and he liked being able to go and sit in the massage chairs. I don't blame him. Good for him. Yeah, I don't blame him <laughs> Sounds at all. Right? 
but his mom had to have a sit down talk with him like people are gonna make fun of you for this he was he's neurodivergent he's just like why it looks cool why would they make fun of me for this right so unfortunately there are all those parts of the world where and parts of the u.s where it's still being treated as this negative psychological condition so people coming in to study it they're at such opposite ends of the spectrum of okay well are you studying this in a helpful capacity to like work with that community or are you just trying to push them back into that little box exactly yep well i'm gonna bring this segment to a close with just one question for the both of you (laughs) yes she's what's the most important thing that you would want cisgender people to know about transgender and non-conforming gender non-conforming people can i just make a joke do i have to be serious that's up to you however you want to respond we don't bite unless you ask nicely And Bryce, <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm coming in on a much more serious note. Okay. Shocked. A lot of times I don't get it either, right? Like there's so much to be constantly learning that it's impossible to take in all of this information at once and all of this new information and take the old information out of your brain. That it's not about understanding everything. It's about respecting it and coming to terms with the fact that trans people and gender non-conforming people fucking exist and you might not understand it i don't get the neo pronoun thing either but i'm not gonna be a dick <laughs> I mean, and that's all you gotta do are but for other don't reasons be a, don't be a dick about it yes precisely fair enough that's fair enough i'm a dick about plenty of things not that <laughs> Well, thank you very much to both of you for sharing. Of course. And hopefully some of our listeners will have learned a bit more. Can you warn me if it's going to be this heavy? (laughs) (laughs) That's as heavy as it's going to get. Trust me. Coming to terms with things, Patrick. Oh, my God. Sorry about that. Oh, don't worry. I have one of my artists made art. In the gay scene in the 90s. So it'll get, it'll get heavy again. Don't worry. Shocked, I tell you. It's fine. Anyway, we say. move on to our next segment now, which is We Like to Watch. I love that last note he hits. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. What a good fucking song. So, Indy, what have you watched new this week? Don't start with me. Don't start Don't with start you. With Why? Start with, start with Don't you friend. like to watch? <laughs> oh, of course. I should have known better. No, okay. Um, oh. can I... Sorry, yes. Can I pick one that I technically watched last week? Oh, okay. Since you're a guest, yeah, I will allow Thank that. Thank you. But once we can <laughs> once, allow this. That's fine. And um, what did you watch? How to Build a Sex Room. It's two weeks ago. That was not two weeks ago. It was last week. Oh, I saw the promo for that. It's Mary Poppins explaining, like, <coughs> very, like, building these, some of them very kinked out, and some of them just, like, romantic wife and husbands having one last try at a marriage rooms. It's across the board, you know, there's... There's gay, there's straight, there's poly, if you're into that. Um, you're not actually watching the people have sex or engage No, you're just watching activities. them build the rooms. You're just watching, and you know, it was... I mean, some of these couples, I yep. wouldn't mind. <laughs> 
But we know. I mean, do they come in there? I well, so I want the handcuffs hanging from over there. No, no, no. And then I need a rack from all my cat and nine tails over there. No, most, most she, of the couples that she works with know nothing about kink. Yeah. Okay, really? So she yeah, really so takes a lot have, of these like, couples on. Wow, you would think kink. you're you're building sex rooms. You would know about that. You have Mary Poppins explaining kink to you. Wow, yeah. and it's. It's nice. It's fun. What channel is this on? It's on Netflix. Netflix. So no, I gotta look for this now. Yeah. It's <laughs> life fun. I already told your husband about it. Oh, okay. He'll definitely want to watch it then. <laughs> it's it's kind of just fluff. It's like, you know you don't have to critically analyze it. It's just fun. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. And Bryce, what did you watch this past week? Stealing yours. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I have started watching The Sandman. Yeah. With you and our producer, um, it's a Netflix series based on one. It's Neil just, Gaiman. Yeah, it's just a yes. novel by Neil Gaiman, just one book. So, like the Lord of Dreams, yes, or however you want to refer to him, is like captured by somebody trying to like summon a an devil amateur magician, or a demon. basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's um, trying to capture death so he can yeah, bring back his two his sons. Dead son. Well, he only has one dead son. His other one's gay. Yeah, that's right. So yes, dead yes. to him, basically. But it's that, and this Lord of Dreams loses three objects that are important, and his realm is destroyed. And I have only seen three episodes because uh, somebody watched without me. Um, that, that would be me. And we're not <laughs> and Stephen. at all. No. Being very um, sure about But it. from what I've seen, it is honestly thrilling. The acting is some really, there's some really phenomenal performances from some actors who I didn't know and from one actor who I was not a fan of based on her performance in Doctor Who. Clara, the actress who played Clara mm-hmm. in Doctor Who. I could not stand her due to her character in okay. Doctor Who. Okay, who's she playing in this? Uh, she plays Constantine. Oh, okay. I like her. Her, her the girl who plays her. And she's phenomenal yeah. in this. I just thought she was so annoying in Doctor Who. And I was like, oh, great. I'm going to have to watch this bitch again. But she's fucking great. I love her. So that's what I've watched this week. Well, I can tell you I've been watching that also. But we're three episodes ahead of you. What else I are you know. watching? Well, Patrick? no, I'm going to talk a little bit more about okay. this. <laughs> My apologies. Cut that out. Don't spoil it for me. <laughs> I'm not necessarily always a big fan of like these fantasy shows on Netflix. Some of them are, I think, well, written for a younger age group that I'm not into. Some of them are just this genre. It's like, oh, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of seeing vampires. Enough of this, you know? Yeah. But this was Neil Gaiman. I yeah. love Neil Gaiman. I've read so many of his his books. And I I hadn't read uh, The Sandman. I hadn't read that graphic novel really? at all. So I, so I knew good. the bare bones story of it, but I wasn't really familiar with it. And I have found this show just gets better with each episode. And I'm glad he's a producer yeah. on it. Yeah. Oh, is he good? The last two episodes, especially, I think it's no, episode number five, it takes place in a diner. That's all I'm going to say. The whole thing takes place in a diner. Okay. okay. And David Thule, Thule, uh, David, I'm not sure it's Thulis or Thulis. I know who you're talking about. I don't know how to pronounce it. Play the werewolf professor in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. He's in this for. Uh, he's in this uh, series, and he's amazing in this. I think. I think he's one of the most understated actors. He's, he's phenomenal. He's so good in this. And I said, this one episode that takes place in a diner, it's, if they don't get all these writing nominations for that episode alone, yeah. I'll be shocked. But like I said, each, like so we're up, we're about to start episode seven. Each episode just keeps getting better and better. I'm really impressed with the series. Really am. Good. So big thumbs up. I know what I'm watching tomorrow. Yeah. You gotta do some catch-up tomorrow, baby. I know. I also have to catch up on uh, Only Murders, but... Yes, you're behind on Only Murders in the building, and that's been so good! Oh, my God! I, I know. I, and I don't want to talk about it, because you haven't seen it at all. 
but it's just really so good. Catch up already. <laughs> <laughs> so we can talk about it sometime. But yeah, really, really good series. But yeah, that's about all I've been, that's about all we've been watching this week, really. And normally we go into people saying stupid things, but I didn't see anything this week that anybody said anything really incredibly stupid. Really? Nobody some, There were some of the, the more... There was, yeah, there was more of the garden variety stupidity, of course. Uh. But nothing really, like, either, like, made you say, what the fuck, or made you laugh out loud. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's really my criteria for saying people saying stupid things. So we're going to move on to our next segment, starring Miss Julie Andrews. Whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> yes, it's time for five faves. And apologies to Tommy if he's listening. No, we did not fix that sound cue yet, so the full thunder sound is in there. We'll try to do that next week. We've been kind of busy. I like the thunder. I know, but he wants the full sound of it. Oh, he wants the full sound. It's cut off, so we got to fix that. Well, for Tommy. But anyway, our category this week for five faves was to name your five favorite artists of various mediums. It could be painting, could be anything else. Except... Music, I say. Yes. Right. We do enough music. There's artists. so many yeah. musics. But other artists. So who wants to go first? Shall I go first? You can go first. Okay. This mine is actually in order. What number one through five? Number five through one. Oh, is how okay. I order them. Oh, okay. But if you want, I can just do them in any order you want. Okay. All up to you. So my fifth favorite artist, yes, um, of all time is Vermeer. Ooh, um, interesting choice. I I really just like the realism that he gets, and I think. Um, there was a documentary called Tim's Vermeer that really delves deep into how Vermeer might have gotten the amount of detail and realism during the time that he did. Um, and I think anybody who's interested in even just Vermeer's paintings um, should check it out. It got slammed because a lot of art critics watched it and were like, eh, his painting isn't good. Like, yeah, he's not a fucking painter. But it, like, really looks into, like, how, you know, they used light and reflection during mm -hmm. that time to truly get the level of saturation and realism. Okay, cool. Good choice. Thank you. And what's your first choice on the list there, Indy? First choice or just, like, any choice? However you want to name them. I got Raymond Pettibon. Um, oh, I'm not familiar with him he is a very graphic style artist um he likes to incorporate a lot of word in his art as well um it's kind of comic book style but this is another time my pretentious art major comes into play um don't worry he's my only obscure one raymond pettibon um he did a lot of work with I'm sure you do, because you're pretentious <laughs> overall. Ooh. But, um, yeah, and he did a lot of work. Um, I found him um, because he was doing a lot of work with, like, 9-11 and the terrorism scares and everything. So that's when I found him. Fair enough. Cool. I'm going to start with my number one choice. Okay. This is the easiest for me to go on and on and on about. <laughs> and that's Salvador Dali. I just oh, love Dali. Okay. Uh, yes. 
the, the, he's not the father of surrealism, but he's the master of it. Oh, yes. yes. He really 100%. is. And I guess I've been such a big fan of his art for, for so long since I first discovered it in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And looking at his art, and like, you know, if you trace his art, you see it, it the way it evolved from yeah. the way he was very classical in the beginning. And then you would see him evolve in the early steps of his surrealism. Yep. And then where it evolved after that, where he goes into this post-atomic period and this yeah. religious period. And of course, yeah, near the end, he got a little bit more commercial and self-promoting with some of these things that he did. But you couldn't deny his artistry. Yeah. Like I said, the man was just, to me, he's like, he's he's a god. He really is. So, yeah, Salvador Dali. Solid choice. Yeah, thank you. So what's your second choice on the list there, Bryce? My second choice and fourth favorite artist of all time is uh, George Brecht. Really? Yeah. He did a lot of work with Neo-Dadaism. Okay. Um, He was part of, really, this movement to bring found object art into the mainstream. Just a lot of... He has an art piece that's just a fucking urinal on the ground, and there's something written in it. I can't remember what it is. But he was very into the audience makes the art, right? He was part of this group called Fluxus, which I they released a series of like playing cards-sized cards that you would take it out, read it, and do whatever it said on that card, however you want to interpret it. Yeah. And that was the piece of art. My favorite one they have is, it's called Projector. And it is yellow, crash, white, red. And the way that the original interpreted it was, you have a projector, you have a piece of yellow clear paper, so the yellow on the wall. Yeah. You drop the projector, pick the projector back up, put a red piece on. Okay. So yellow would be shining on the wall like that. Crash, it falls, you pick it back up, and that's the white. And then you put the red on. And I just think it's super interesting because there's how there's so many ways that you can interpret just like the little stuff like that. Yeah. Very um, cool. And just the idea of Dadaism has always been very interesting to me. <laughs> okay. Indy, what's your second choice? Um I am very basic with my second choice. It's Warhol. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you can't deny the classics. Yeah. No, you can't. Um, I was I was an art major also, and so I had 20 posters with various Warhol quotes on my walls. Um, I am not very good at realism, so that kind of art style really appealed to me, especially when you had to do the, those, like, hey, recreate this artist's style. Like, okay, I can right. do, like, wood cuttings and, like, recreate that with just the really bold colors. and I can handle that. Um, so he's always been. So he's had a soft spot in my heart. Oh, cool. Yeah. I like that choice. Thank you. My next choice, my next ones aren't in any particular order. My next one is Roy Lichtenstein. Okay. Okay. I love the pop art. Yeah. yeah. He does. Yep. I, 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 uh, like Warhol, I mean, he's like considered like the father of pop right. art. But I was never, when I was younger, I wasn't a big Warhol fan. As I've gotten older, I, I better appreciate his art. Of course. Yeah. But I love Roy Lichtenstein's art. It's just so much mm-hmm. fun to look at. It really is. Yeah. It's, Visually so pleasing. Yeah, there is. There is so much life to it and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, yeah he's my he's my second choice. Okay. So who's your third? My third um is Felix Gonzalez Torres. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't believe you <laughs> That's have a mouthful. Yes, it is. Gonzalez hyphen Torres. But he created a lot of art in the early nineties after um, his partner passed away. Yes. Um during the AIDS epidemic. Okay. Uh, my favorite piece of his is entitled the 
title is Untitled, parentheses, Portrait of Ross in L.A., which is a 175-pound pile of candy wrapped in multicolored cellophane. God. His yeah. partner weighed 175 pounds when he was diagnosed with L.A. Ugh. Uh, L.A., diagnosed with AIDS. Okay. Um, and... The audience is encouraged to take one piece of candy and move on, and the art itself is watching this pile get smaller as people take and take and take and yeah. take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's done so much more work like that. He has a piece that's just two clocks that are set called Lovers in Time or Lovers in Perfect Time, something like that. But it's two identical clocks that are set to go at the same time and they just move and they fall out of sync eventually. And it's supposed to, again, represent his partner getting diagnosed and how that changed everything. A lot of his work in the, really from 1992 to the end of his life in the late 90s was based on uh, his partner and how him getting diagnosed and dying of AIDS really affected him and his life. And I think it's absolutely beautiful. Oh, wow. I think everybody should look up Portrait of Ross in LA. Yeah, definitely. See if I can find a person on the website. I'll see yeah. a person on our website. There's not many photos because yeah, it's Felix a, it's a, specifically requested like yeah. photos not be taken, but you can find a few I'm sure. of just like a, the full pile when yeah. it starts and everything. It's also early 90s before like yeah, everyone had a camera in their hand. Yeah, it's 1992 when this one came out. Um, um, but it's absolutely one of the most heart-wrenching pieces of art I've ever seen in my life, and I absolutely fell in love with him through that. Excellent. On a lighter note, <laughs> indeed. His third favorite. Yes. Um. Yeah. Definitely a lighter note. Um. It's Van Gogh. Uh, all right. Uh, you know him. I promise. So you like those one-eared guys, huh? Oh yeah. <laughs> my ear doesn't work, so. <laughs> Um, no, I already loved his art style, um, because I was a little kid and just the super bright colors and the movement again really appealed to me. And it's something I always went back to as I was getting older and then, you know, learning more about him and how he was completely unappreciated. And, you know, I was an emo kid in the early 2000s and nobody understands me. So that really stuck with me also. I've grown out of my emo phase mostly, but just, I... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just thought it was, um, you know, that that whole, like, it was beautiful that no one, he wouldn't ever know how much he's been loved and appreciated since then. And yeah, I still love the movement in his art. I think it's gorgeous. Excellent. Nothing heart-wrenching, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. My next one's not heart-wrenching either. It's Georgia O'Keeffe. The colors. Okay. The flowers. (laughs) They're just so visually pleasing and draw me in. She actually almost and made it onto my list. Really? Yeah. And she I was just about gives it. me like this like sense of like serenity when I look at her work. Yeah. Okay. I really I really enjoy Georgia O'Keefe a lot. All right. Yeah, yeah, good old Georgia. <laughs> Uh, so who's number four for you, sir? Number four for me is another one that not a lot of people know about. My fourth is uh, Gerda Gottlieb. Gerda Gottlieb. I've yes. heard the name, but I don't okay. know why. Um, she was big in the 1920s through 30s. Okay. She became famous for painting portraits of her partner, who was her husband, who at the time that she started painting her was in the closet, but later came out as transgender and started going by the name Lily Elbe or Elby. I don't know how to pronounce okay, it. Okay, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, it's the movie. Woman. You're there. It's the Danish Thank woman. Thank you. Thank you. Um, That's why I know the name. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think... 
just the painting style is wonderful. The subject is wonderful. It's very art nouveau kind of, and I'm, yeah. I'm super into that. My favorite book is The Great Gatsby, so I've always just loved that kind of stuff. Okay. But it's also classified as some of, like, the first lesbian erotica to ever exist. Yeah. And I think it's super interesting and worth looking into if you are interested in learning about the history of transgenderism and lesbianism. Cool. Lesbianism? Lesbianism. Lesbianism. Lesbians. <laughs> And number four for you? Uh, Brian Froud. Brian Froud? He did all the work with Jim Henson on The Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Really? Yes. Oh, wow. Um, he is one of the most preeminent visualizers of the world of fairies and folktale. Oh, shit. Um, he's got a super distinct style if you ever look at his work, which I was hesitant about putting him on my list because he's not like known as this big famous painter or anything but i love his work i think it's gorgeous that's it cool <laughs> my number four choice i don't think it's so much for the art what it is but for what it does and that's banksy banksy was almost on my list <laughs> almost. i have I every time that one of his him, painting something part of me is like yeah cool I fucking hate Banksy, Patrick. Why do you hate Banksy? Because Banksy, and as much as, you know, the punk scene is a, oh, he's such a sellout and whatever. Banksy, when he started, I really liked him and I really enjoyed his work and what he stood for. Okay. Banksy realized that he could make money. Of course. And he's still identifying himself as a street artist. But street artists don't cover their street art with plastic borders and, like, an entire thing. Like, it's a fucking museum. The act of creating street art is knowing that your art is going to be destroyed. Right. So part of street art is... I'm talking over you again. It's... Knowing that it's going to be this collaborative process, even yeah. if it's not someone adding to yours, like, yes. that's one of the biggest things of street art. And I'm with you when Banksy starts. I have a Banksy tattoo. Okay. First one I got. It's on my ribs. Um, don't do that. If you're going to get a tattoo, don't get your first one on your ribs. Um, <laughs> Why? But um, I loved Banksy when I started and when he started. And I thought it was so cool, super punk. And also I realized, Banksy, if you're listening, I keep using he. If you're she or they, I apologize. Banksy, if you're listening, fuck you. <laughs> Ooh. That too. But, um, no, I agree that he's there. She's, um, just got super into the money aspect and it's not this permanent art piece if you're going to keep identifying as a street artist. Yeah. Maybe they are wrong or inaccurate to identify as a street artist, but like any artist, they evolve, you know? Yes. And that's my thing. If Banksy was willing to identify as... A performance artist. God, you can't go on for half an hour about identities and then tell someone else what theirs is. No, but if Banksy was willing to change from saying, oh, I'm a street artist, I'm a street artist, to just saying it's performance art, I would respect it so much more. But saying it's street art and then selling it, making millions, doing all of these exhibitions, I don't believe I don't believe you, you know? I still think Banksy's a solid choice, even though I... Oh, Banksy's art, the art that Banksy creates has merit, and it's very good. It's wonderful. My problem is with Banksy as a human being. Okay. (laughs) Let's just look about his work, then, okay? Yes. Work is great. (laughs) I think it's super punk, and I like it. (laughs) Good. What is your final choice? Um, I just want to mention uh, a runner-up who I really wanted to include on this list, but Uh, I couldn't. uh, (laughs) Fuck off. It's Basquiat. Oh, okay. I really wanted to include, but just, I, I got edged out. Wait, if we're allowed to do honorable mentions. <laughs> yeah, right? 
Uh, Monet. Oh, okay. Claude Monet is my number one. I my favorite artist of all time. I saw... Not Manet, Monet. Yes, Monet. Okay. Um, I saw the water... Not Monet, it's Monet. It's Monet, yes. <laughs> Um, I saw the water lilies uh, in high school and inexplicably started crying in the middle of MoMA. Um, and ever since then... That's a fair reaction. There's, I've just had this great affection. Like, even... We went to a museum once and we were walking around a room of, like, realism. And yeah. it was some of Monet's, like, early work that was realism. And I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is my favorite thing in this entire room. And then I looked at who made it and I was like, oh, fuck, that makes sense. It's, well, it's fucking well, Claude Monet. I think I it out to you. Like, yeah. The, yeah. The... But you know, I've just always had this affection. Anyway. Number five for you. All right. Number five for me. Um, I'm going to follow, preface this, not follow it up. I'm going to preface it with, I don't actually like this person's, like, artwork. Their okay. artwork is fine. Okay. It's nothing bad. But Stuart Semple. Stuart Semple? Because, all right, I'm going to, you can cut all this out, but. Um, I'm, I'm ready with that. <laughs> no, cut all my reasoning out. All right, so there <laughs> is an artist in the world. His name is Anish Kapoor, and he is kind of the embodiment of everything, like, the art world hates. He has a lot of money. He uses it to abuse. He, he throws his money around, basically, not abuse, yeah. that's the wrong word. He throws his money around. Um, there was something called Vanta Black, which was the blackest pigment in the world, it would make a ball look like a flat circle. And he bought all the rights to it. No one else was allowed to use it. He flaunted it. He is this pretentious artist throwing around his money. So Stuart Semple decided, okay, fuck you. I'm going to make a black that is, say Vanta Black is 99.99999% black. <clears throat> Stuart Semple made blackest black, which is like 98.99% black. It looks exactly the same. Yeah. It is safe to use. He sells it in powdered pigments all over the world. And the only thing is, and he's made a big ton of money, quite honestly, on um, by buying this product, I guarantee that I am not Anish Kapoor, I have no relation to Anish Kapoor, and I will not be giving it to Anish Kapoor. Mm. And the art world coming together to just kind of be like, fuck Anish Kapoor, I love it, I'm a petty bitch, and I'm very here for someone calling out a rich, pretentious asshole. <laughs> so Stuart Semple. Okay. <laughs> His art's fine. There's nothing great about it. It's, super, it's very graphic, um, like graffiti style. It's fine. Oh, cool. I wouldn't, like, pay to own it. But, but you like it, so that's the it's, important thing. It's fine. I have no strong feelings about it either way. I oh, like that okay. he's pretty. <laughs> oh, my God. Who's your favorite? My, well, my, favorite, favorite. my favorite was Dali. Least but my, favorite. My, oh, my, I don't have a final Number least. five. Number five. Who's your number five? My number five, yeah. it's a, uh, a comic strip artist. Oh, okay. Berkeley Brethren, who writes Bloom County. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> I grew up with that in the 80s. When it first started out, he got criticized because a lot of his artwork looked like Doonesbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it eventually evolved. Right. Yeah. And especially with his warped sense of humor, it definitely evolved. Yes. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't just Bloom County. I mean, he's done other works also besides Bloom County, and I've seen other books that he's written. And I, I just love his style that he does, you know? Yeah. Even if it is for comic strips, you yeah. know? I know they're it's, looked down on by some, it's but still it's still it's art. It's still art, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, Berkeley Breath is my number five. Solid choice. Excellent. Yeah. So that's it. So we now come to our last segment of the day. Get off my lawn. Did you hear me? I said get off my lawn now. Yes, it's time for the grumpy old game and gripe of the week. Who's going first? Uh, look where you're fucking going when you drive. <laughs> I guess Bryce is going first. I'll go first. That's it. That's it. Look in front of you when you're driving. And hmm, does that have something to do with the accident that you had tonight? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> 
no, but it's just like, and I can't be mad because she was a kid, but it's like, just. Clearly you can be. I can be <laughs> bitter, but it's, look, where are you fucking going? That's it. That's all I have for you. Okay. Open your goddamn eyes <laughs> when you're behind the wheel. Yeah. This message is brought to you by Bryce. <laughs> Indy? What's your gripe of the week, Indy? The response to someone calling you and apologizing for not getting back to you because they had COVID is not to go off on them and tell them, well, everyone I know who's getting COVID just had a cold, so you were probably fine and just milking your time. Just saying. That's not the best response to someone who you're then asking to fill out paperwork for you. Yeah. No, definitely. No. Wow. There we go. Well, thank you for sharing. Well, my gripe of the week is no, it's not you. It's gonna be soon. My standing complaint. My gripe of the week is white men, straight white men, who think it's okay to tell me an offensive joke because I am a white man, even if they don't know I'm a gay white man. I read that. Yes, yeah. the post I had, was like, "Where was that?" Yes, so this happened again. to me uh, this past weekend. I'm not going to name the place publicly. If you want to know, I'll tell you in private. Yep. But this happened here on Long Island. Me and my husband and a friend of ours, John, we were going to go see a play. And before we were going to see the play, we figured let's go grab a bite to eat, a quick bite to eat. So we go, we go into this establishment. Stephen places the order and uh, talks to the man behind the counter who apparently looks like the owner, the way he's acting in their place and other people talking to him and stuff. And he comes over and he brings our food over to us and he tells us a joke while he's there. Ha ha, very funny, yeah. Okay, he tells us a joke. And then he's behind the counter again and he made some other joke to us or whatever, made some other comment. And then he comes back over and he tells us this other joke that contained uh, elements of anti-Semitism, hint of homophobia, and I guess anti-Greek <laughs> prejudice. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to tell you the joke, but I think you can probably get the gist of it. it. The joke depended all on known stereotypes. Yep. And the three of us were all basically stunned sitting there hearing this man tell the joke. And he told it very badly, too, because I've heard this joke years ago. And it's told a lot shorter than the way this man was telling it. Which just made it that much more painful. So after we finished telling the joke and he went back behind the counter, we finished our food very quickly and got out of there. And we were just like, because we are all white men of a certain age, I guess he felt that it was comfortable enough that he could tell us this joke in his business establishment, in his eating establishment. And it's like, just because I'm a white guy doesn't make it okay. You shouldn't be telling those jokes, period. Yeah. Exactly. But obviously you don't know that. You think it's okay to tell this kind of a joke to anybody, but of course you told it to a white man, which yeah. made it okay in your eyes. Yeah. And it, it is disgusting. It's like we're in the 21st century. Haven't we moved past this stuff by now? No. But obviously not, you know? It was... It's a shame because we've eaten at this place before. We actually like the food there. But I'm willing to make the sacrifice. I didn't make a scene there because I didn't think making a scene was going to do anything. And I guess we were on our way to a show. I didn't want to go show my blood pressure racing because of a scene I made at this business. Right? Exactly. Last thing we need is another So I thought the best way was just in the future, I will not patronize this business. If anyone wants to know why, I'll tell them why. Yeah. But yeah, that's my gripe of the week. It's a reasonable gripe. Yeah, right? Usually Tommy tells the long gripes. This time it was my turn. 
Yeah, gotta get it out there. Right. But anyway, this brings us to the conclusion of this week's episode. I want to thank our guests, Bryce Powell and Indy Johnson, for joining us. And for opening up to us about educating our audience a bit to a few things they may not be aware about. Now you know all about axolotls. Right. (laughs) And we want to thank my husband, producer Stephen, for for providing the chocolate chip cookies. Yes, very good cookies. (laughs) (laughs) And also, Tommy, we missed you very much this week. But Tommy will be back next week. And next week will be our 50th episode. It's going to be a big episode celebration. We're going to be having back a lot of our former guests onto the show, including hopefully you two. I live here. You're going to get me. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we got you anyway. (laughs) Whether we want you or not. to be available. Cool. Excellent. We should have a great time. So that's about it. You can follow us, of course, on our website, www.grumpyoldgamen.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, where I try to post daily. And that's about it. Anything else you guys want to add? Are you going to tell them where to find us, Patrick? Where to find who? Where to find the podcast. I thought I just did. Oh, well, they can find us on all the podcast (laughs) providers. I think by now, I don't have to tell them by that now because they're listening to the podcast. Maybe so I do. think they know where to find us. No, I know. It just feels like a staple. Okay. Spain. Look for us on all your local <laughs> podcast provider. Do you feel better now? <laughs> Much. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to say have a good night, have a good week, have a good life, and we'll see you next time. Bye, bitches. Davy, Davy Crockett, the king of the wild frontier.